Welcome to Workplace Matters from Three Edges, the show where we join the cultural, spatial and technological workplace dots, one conversation at a time. My name is Ian Ellison. This episode of Workplace Matters is sponsored by the Workplace Leadership Programme, our partnership initiative with the British Institute of Facilities Management. It's time to unlock your workplace advantage, lovely listeners. The first course in the programme, Essentials of Workplace Leadership, is taking bookings for this July and November, and there are limited places. We've put together a really innovative and engaging workshop approach, complete with discovery missions, to gently challenge you and supercharge your workplace insight. We can tailor the course for in-house delivery too, focusing on your own business needs. Head over to bifm.org.uk and click on Courses, then Face-to-Face to learn more. Or, by all means, contact us directly at threeedges.co.uk. OK, so we're back with the second of two special episodes exploring the future of the British Institute of Facilities Management on the run-up to their AGM. Simon Iatru from Magenta Associates has stepped into my usual chair's role and is joined by key members of the Institute's leadership team, Chairman Steve Roots, CEO Linda Hasmanis and Director of Insight Chris Moriarty. I'm there too to talk about the research Three Edges has been doing for the BIFM over the past year or so. If you've not listened to the first half of the discussion yet, go back an episode or this one will feel like you've kind of walked in halfway through a really interesting conversation because, well, that's exactly what you have done. You'll also get a lot more upfront context there too, which I'll not repeat here. Let's get back into the discussion. Stay tuned until the end for some closing reflections from me and also some thanks and name checks for those who submitted questions. So here we go. Essential FM and workplace listening and super relevant for BIFM members with a vote to cast on or before the AGM this July the 5th in Manchester. Enjoy. Certainly when I first heard the news in March, uh, my first thought was, blimey, there's a lot of hard work that needs to be done here to, to make sure that it's more than just a change in name. And one of the areas that springs to mind immediately is kind of learning and development qualifications. Are we looking at a point in time where a facilities management or a workplace management professional will have a professional pathway? We've uh, already started on that uh, development. We've got the professional standards for facilities management. We've got qualifications in facilities management and we've got apprenticeships in facilities management. And we're now putting together a, a group of experts. So that work will be undertaken now and in some ways regardless of name change i'd be sort of quite provocative here and say that the reason why is that we have seen a growing trend when we receive membership applications that people's title has changed so therefore i think we have got to ensure that that you know a person an individual or many individuals in future can actually look at the professional standards and think actually this does relate to me 
because it includes workplace, or there is now a qualification because it includes workplace. I'm not able to say whether or not our qualifications will be renamed workplace and facilities management because we, the way that you develop any standards or any qualifications is you have to speak to the individuals, you have to look at the job descriptions, what are the key skills that is expected of a workplace person, what's the key skills expected of an FM, and going back to that drawing board, Simon, that work is all taking place at the moment. I mean, my personal view on this is, is I think there's a foundation common across both. And I think then there's there's that opportunity to have building blocks that you bolt on additional skill skills and competencies. From a workplace perspective, there is more requirement to understand HR. But facilities managers, let's not, let's be real about this. You know, facilities managers day in day out are dealing with HR issues. They've got staff that they're employing, that they're managing, that they're doing professional development with. They're trying to understand how they're moving forward in the business, supporting them in their own organisation. So it's not something new that we're doing here. But what it helps us to do is fully redefine and to put focus on what the key skills are. Talked about the definition of FM. It took years and years and years to, for people to get a single definition of FM, and it's still not there. And at a recent conference where I was Chris, and you know he did his famous, well, Google, what does facilities management mean? And it's not something that passes the pub test. As no, well, it was two things. The, the definitions that we have, they don't, they don't pass the pub test. If, if someone asked you, you know, what facilities management was and you go through all this, all the blurb around people, places, process and all this sort of stuff, we know what they all mean. And, and from an academic point of view, they have some, you know, the value in there and it helps us frame stuff. But Google, when you Google it, the, the single sentence that comes up is managing buildings and equipment. You know, so th- there is a lot of this is about framing. To your point around the qualifications, though, for it and a career pathway, workplace as a term workplace as a an idea isn't new but there's a lot of talk about this emerging discipline and we talk about this sort of all these different and we've touched on it today hr it sort of this this kind of um this melting pot in the middle where we're all kind of making great workplaces but we're all kind of coming at it from a slightly different angle i guess what we're saying is that we've got to stop operating in these silos and so that's a sort of a well-worn thing but because it's an emerging discipline my view of, of standards and qualifications, and, and, and that's it comes from work I did at a previous organisation around standards, is this kind of codification of competence. To start that process, we need to understand, like Linda says, what's expected. It, what would an organisation expect of someone who says, I'll manage your workplace you know, in its entirety. I'll make sure that people can come in and do amazing work. You know, how does that brush up alongside HR professionals, IT professionals? We need to do a lot. So there's this kind of two-pronged attack in a sense in that we review our existing and qualifications and standards, but the work that we've started with Ian and Free Edge is looking at what this is all about and, and what it looks like and what does it feel like and what does it sound like so that we can play that up against reality. Because there is, a, you know, the bubble comes, we can sit there and theorise and, and write some really lovely reports and stuff, but we've got to always sense check it. You've got to balance it all out, which is the work that Linda's talking about in terms of talking to employees and talking to people out there doing the job, and, and particularly those that are already saying, I'm a workplace manager. Okay, so what does that mean? How does that differ to what you were doing five years ago? And us then being able to codify that then, and then I say, go, right, well, qualifications then to, to appraise these competencies to make sure you can do them is the next step. Yeah, and I, and I think also if I, if I use the same principles that we used when we did develop the um, qualifications way back, to me it's in some ways not good enough 
just to sort of have people sitting around the table and say, well, okay, well, you know, today, you know, what, what would make a good workplace officer? Because you're looking at today. Well, by the time you've developed that qualification and it's delivered, it could be five years hence. So you have to do that with qualifications in the professional arena, is trying to understand what are the actual challenges for organisations. Because that is when you start to get the concept of what the skill gap is, and then you can start to develop a, a curriculum around developing those skills. We've already alluded to the fact that the hard work begins now for the BIFM, that there's a lot of stuff to do behind the scenes. What really needs to happen now, maybe to ensure that members know how to promote this new vision and have the kind of requisite persuasiveness and authority to uh, make it happen? So, you know, over the coming months, you will be seeing much, you know, more and more reports coming out, uh, more and more knowledge products to help those people who are, you know, in FM who are not quite sure what's workplace to help them with that narrative. There's a more immediate one, surely, which is you need that yes vote on July the 5th, right? Yes, yeah. So we put ourselves out, you know, as a professional organisation. We have to take our members' views on board. And it was really interesting. When this first came out on the 1st of March, there was quite a bit of social media traffic about this is, it's already been decided, it's a fait accompli, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, let's be really, really clear. It's an open and transparent process. I think it's been very good so far in the way that we've positioned it. Of course, the board is behind it. That's why we've made the recommendation to the membership. We want to make sure that that happens. So the AGM on the 5th of July will have a special resolution asking the membership to change the name to the Institute of Workplace and Facilities Management. We believe that it's the right thing to do. And so as we go through that process... You know, we want to make sure that people have enough information to make their own decision, that they are able, you know, and people don't have to physically attend the AGM to have their vote. They can do that by proxy. Uh, they can do that through registering prior to the event. So we want to get as many people as we can to, you know, have a view, have a, have a conversation around what we're doing and why. So we've been reaching out to the regions, to the special interest groups, to various forums around what we're doing and why we're doing it. Um, and we want, and we'll continue to do that. And we want to be challenged. It's one of the key things for us: challenge us, so that we can show you that we, we believe we're going in the right direction. One of my favourite words is silo. Hear about that a lot. People always complaining that uh, businesses or business functions work in silos to the detriment of the organisation. Um, so a lot of the talk over the um, last few years particularly has been about the convergence of all these support service functions, FM being one of them, to really work towards kind of organisational goals or that kind mm. of thing. I guess all these different business functions have a tendency to operate as fiefdoms, you know, don't encroach on my turf, this is my mm. little bit. Chris, I know you did some work in the past with the BIFM in your first stint here uh, with the CIPD, the Workplace Conversation. Looking back at that and kind of looking forward to this change, how do you think you're going to be able to get members to these kind of established levels where all these silos, maybe HR, FM, IT, property, uh, how you can get them to work together, collaborate, and maybe even seed some ground in the grand scheme of things? I mean, look, it's tough. A lot of organisations will talk about the need to break down silos. It's probably one of the most common sort of phrases with any organisation go through any sort of change programme. When you step back and think about it on a professional group scale, you know, it's even tougher. Um, I was asked a question on a panel discussion. Uh, I think the point was kind of made. 
getting HRIT, FM and all these different functions to talk to you, well, that's just good business, right? My response to it was, and in a way, in a sort of a weird sort of way, professional bodies are partly to blame for this, that we have these very strong qualification columns and we ask people to go on these very defined career pathways and they get out to a certain level. And I think it's just human nature when they get there, they want to show the people what they've learned. They want to talk about it in terms that I've learned. We're very proud of this sort of knowledge and tacit knowledge that we've developed. But in a way, sometimes it holds back on a uh, a common language that we need across the business landscape. You know, we need to be able to connect with people and all understand what we're talking about in, in the same sort of way. So that's what the workplace conversation tried to do. You know, was it a rip-roaring success? Probably not as much as I would have liked it to be. Um did it start to change conversations? I think it did. You know, really interesting. I read it, read it back um, the other day. I hadn't read it for ages. I think. So this is from about 2014? Yeah, 20, uh, well, uh, 2015 it was. Right. So, oh, the final yeah, just, published document. I, I literally published it and then I left. Um, uh, <laughs> my work here is done. Uh, no, so, and, I, um, and, you know, a lot of the stuff that we wrote in there was, you look at it now and you go, well, yeah, of course. There was certainly a group of people that kind of saw it as a bit noddy, I think. It kind of, this is all a bit obvious, but... The reality was, for a lot of people, it wasn't. So I always sort of think that, you know, you've got to try, and it's always these little sort of steps that you take, these incremental steps along the way. And we'll be talking to CIPD again about this. We have to talk to them about this. I don't think it's necessarily, you know, in, in the way that we could possibly frame it in kind of this giving up ground. Because if I'm honest, I don't know if there's much ground to give in a sense. All we're saying is that from where we are coming from at it, we would like to have a bit more of an awareness and understanding about culture and how the things overlap. So for me, actually, the really interesting bit is, you know, using that Venn diagram that the Three Edges guys put in the, in the briefing paper is actually looking at what those overlaps are. Now, that means forming relationships, and we're, we're going to do that, and I know people have asked us about collaboration with, with chartered bodies. So that's a really obvious place to start. You know, they'll have career pathways, they'll have standards, they'll have qualifications. Well, where's the crossover there? How do our members interact with each other? Could we do joint events where we're talking about workplace or work as a, as a concept, but it's coming at it from different angles? So we can do all that stuff. Does it mean that they'll start recognising our qualifications as part of their own membership criteria? Who knows? You know, The reality is that's their decision, not our decision. We don't get to tell other professional bodies what our qualifications mean and where it should, where it should sit on their scale. You know, That's for the, the organisation to decide it. But for me, as someone who has been in professional bodies, it's a really exciting idea. I don't think it's about giving up ground. I don't think it's about breaking silos. It's just, I think you said it, Simon, those blurring of lines, because ultimately I think that's where professions are going to get to. You'll have your specialism. You'll have your technical ability. You'll have your where you're coming from. But it's much more exciting to look at how you can apply that to different situations as opposed to going this is my column and I will stay in my column. Well, facilities management is all about that anyway. So facilities managers constantly blur the lines because they're constantly being asked and instructed to pick up other elements within their organisation. So, you know, that solid foundation that we're looking at for facilities and workplace management is already there. It's just trying to define it, trying to, to put some elements around what it actually means, being able to putting on a piece of paper to show, you know, somebody that's trying to recruit for that role to understand exactly what it is. I think a big thing with you, right, Steve, because that groundwork has already been done. There's a lot of good stuff that's happening out there. The one thing that strikes me, and it was, it, this comes from my background at Charlie Institute of Marketing, another professional body, another profession who are saying that no one understands us and no one knows what we do, you know, so it's, it's not a, a problem, you know, unique to us. 
But one of the, the the big campaigns that we had in that, we were pushing it for years and years, and it was kind of, in a sense, led by one particular senior marketing leader who turned on the profession, essentially, saying, you, it's your fault that you're not in the boardroom. It was being provocative and, you know, it was very theatrical and all that rest of it. But there was, what was laced in that was this idea that we need to start talking other people's languages, not just keep pushing our own. So, again, for me, this change represents that at one level. You know, we are now talking someone else's language about what we do, not the one that we've grown very fond of and attached to over the last 30 years. We're actually starting to say to people, you know, again, go back to the pub test. If you, you talk about workplace, people go, oh, no, I get that. And you almost move on. You don't have to explain anymore. But we now need to embed the skills and the learning and all the rest of it that we can have common conversations with our colleagues. Now, I'm not saying that means that FM just has to sort of bend over and, you know, like just go to the will of everyone other department. But I think it's on it's on every professional body to start looking at the, those cross sections. And if we can just do it, that initial bit around workplace and get HR professionals, you know, technologists and FMs talking about something in common language, then surely any organisations benefit from that. Chris, I wish you were on the stage with me at EuroFM three years ago <laughs> when I was presenting your workplace management. What's, what's interesting about language as well, you know, you could look at it in a very cold point of view, you know, your point about Sodexo earlier on. When industry, and, you know, let's look at these, these are massive organisations with huge marketing budgets and, and real strategic thinkers around marketing and positioning. When they're recognising, you know, let's frame it as workplace, when they see that, that's not because they needed something to zhuzh something up. That's because the clients were demanding mm. it. You know, they're responding to client need. There's recognising in the market that organisations, and by that I don't mean necessarily the FMs that would be going out together. We're talking about chief executives. We're talking about CFOs. These people going, you know, we need to look at our people and talent strategy. And wrapped up within that is better working environments, better productive environments, better performance-enhancing environments. You know, these organisations go, we can do that. So let's talk about it in these terms. That gets our foot in the door. That gets us in the conversation. That allows us to have that conversation. Then we bring with it all of our expertise and technical knowledge and all the rest of it. But we need our foot in the door in the first place. I wanted to ask a question that we got in. And I'll ask it as it is, actually, because I think it's an interesting one. BIFM events often feature people giving advice on how to successfully implement change in organisations. So what is the most salient advice you've heeded in planning for the evolution of the BIFM? Listen. We've been listening to the industry for years. We've been listening to volunteers. We've been listening to individual members. Most importantly, we've been listening to organisations and listening to the, the wider economy. What is going on out there in the wider economic and business environment which is going to have an impact for our profession. So it has been a case of listening for a long time, listening for comments. Obviously, you know, this uh, industry is full of people who have you know, commented over the years and years and years about where it should be going, you know, the change that is necessary, etc. That, to me, has been the most important thing, is to listen, which then enabled, obviously, the board... Over a year ago, we've been sort of having these discussions, Simon, as you can imagine, when you said you were you know, surprised by the announcement on the 1st of March. You said, oh, there's a lot of work to be done. Goodness me, there is. Also has been an awful lot of work looking at this, obviously then commissioning that research to sort of validate any decision going forward. So to me, the number one thing was listening. You know, it's, it's like any change management program you'll have in any business. So, you know, you've, you've got that initial, the announcement and some of the defence about people don't want change. And we have to accept 
some people just do not like change if we don't frame it in the right way so it's about trying to ensure that we have an open and transparent process that's really really key and as we move forward it's about making sure that people have got the right level of information to ensure that they can make the decision for their own benefit so we haven't mentioned brexit and you know one of the one of the comments that came out initially when we made the announcement on the first of march well this is another brexit conversation because you're not really telling us what it means well actually i said no i, I totally disagree with you i think we're very clear in what our pathway and what our approach is to this and so i think if we can keep building on that we've done lots of work internally within the organization so We've made ourselves slicker as an organisation. We're fitter. We process better. And that's now allowing us to go out externally now. And through the events that we host and through days like today, you know, with this podcast, is to try and just pass out more information for individuals and let people make their own decision about it. So, you know, we want people to agree with us and support us in this change. But our members individually have to make their own decision on this. And they have to understand that it's up to them. They have the opportunity to say yes or no on the 5th of July. And I want people to make sure that they do that and they feel as though every single vote does count. Echoing what Linda and Steve have just said, communicating is the, you know, it's the two sides of it, right? And, but also, and there's lots of different change models and change theories, the anger and, and then the sort of exploration models and the rest of it, which is, they're nice and useful, but there is a danger sometimes that you think that, that people fall into very specific boxes and in phases the bit that struck me and how it connects to this is the uh, anecdote guys that came out with the you know talked about in their paper about the frontier the, the discovery of, of america and, and, the, and the frontiers that they were going out into which is that this idea that they knew what the end looked like and they roughly knew the really key points along the way however each time they take a new step they get new information new data the landscape might have changed a bit that they didn't see coming so they adapt their plan, but they're still locked on to where they're heading to. So one of the challenges, I think, for us is that when you do something as big as this, everyone wants as much detail as possible. The reality is, and I think we've kind of shown it today, is that we have some key principles that we understand we're going to want to do. We know we want to change and, and review the standards and how that impacts the qualifications, but how that will look, couldn't tell you exactly right now because we're going to have to do some listening we're going to have to do some communicating but it will all be driven towards the same vision um so for me that in terms of actual change advice that's it because we these are big changes name changes professional rebranding chartered status you know these are massive things and we're very clear on them that that's that's our direction of travel and we i could probably sit down and all of us could sit down and tell you roughly where that path goes but it's been, I think if, you, if you're if you too firm in that is exactly the path we're going down, you could be setting yourself up to fail because it's almost like a stubbornness. We said we would do it like this and we must do it like this. Actually, you know, engaging with members, engaging with the profession, engaging with the organisations, both those that provide services into organisation and those that, that procure yes. those services in, we need to understand them in much more detail now that we've stated our intention of where we're heading uh, and working out the finer details of it. So I think it's worth asking... On the 5th of July at the AGM, the BIFM AGM in Manchester, if the BIFM doesn't get the required amount of votes for these proposed changes, what happens the next day? We're very clear in, in what we've set out to do. So we still want to deliver the pillars of the manifesto for change. So that's really key. We'll refresh the brand because if we're not going to change the name, it's time that we refresh the brand. We need to 
reinvigorate what we do. And that was part and parcel of why we decided to go down this path initially. We'll still continue with our plan to achieve chartered body status, but we will continue as BIFM. So, you know, as I said before, it's up to the membership. You know, it's in their hands. It's in the members' hands, which I'm really passionate about, I think. So the more people that can either attend on the 5th of July or can register online and, and put their vote in for, for this name change, we want to include as many people as possible. So it's really important that people do have that opportunity to vote on this. And um, how can BIFM members learn more about these changes and how they can get involved before July? We're doing a lot of things already. I think it's probably fair to say there was a the big announcement, and I think you know it's right and proper to, to give people a little bit of air to absorb and process it. But since then, we've got these knowledge reports that we've been producing with Three Edges that, that explore it in a bit more detail, so people have got access to them. They're all free, not behind any sort of membership-gated uh, password protection, so people can access them dead easy uh, on, on the website, the Manifesto for Change section. By the time this podcast has is, is been on air, Steve and I are doing a, a webinar talking about it in a bit more detail. So not not like today, it, it's more of a we're sort of going through the stages and, and giving members access in real time to sort of engage with that. So we're doing that. And, and all of us, all of us have been to a number of events and, and making ourselves as accessible as, as possible. And let's face it, you know, social media as well, there's, there's always going to be someone, you know, sort of wanting to, to ask a question. So my kind of sense... You know, we talked earlier on about me arriving two weeks before this all happened. I didn't get a sense of an organisation, a group of people that were doing this nervously. I didn't. I didn't sense any doubt. I didn't sense people gently putting their toe in the water to send, you know, to test the water. This felt very purposeful. This felt very confident to me, and that means that we're comfortable with questions, like Steve said. You know, ask us, challenge us. It is really important that you know. I've come through volunteering route through the membership route so i'm very passionate about the individual members and what they get out of the institute and we're here as an institute for those members it's really really clear so if people have a concern have a question have a challenge push those into us come and see me any of the other board members any of the other members of the senior leadership team at all the events that we're at or through we've got a communications at bifm.org.uk email address so you want to fire any questions into there push them into us as I said before, this is about being open and transparent. So some of the questions might be uncomfortable for us. Great. From my perspective, I want you to challenge us. So it's, it's really important that those things come in. This has been fun. Can I do it again? <laughs> <laughs> Hang on a minute. What are you suggesting? <laughs> I don't know. Some spin-off shows. <laughs> no. Thank you, everyone. That was really interesting. Thank you, everybody, for uh, taking the time to speak Good around great. the table on this one. Good. No worries at all. Thank you. So there you go. Hopefully a really worthwhile and informative listen. It felt, particularly given some of the expressions of opinion on social, both for and against the proposed changes, that there was a real opportunity to use the podcast format to take a deeper discussion to a wider audience. I really hope you agree. Now, I think a little full disclosure is also in order for context. As I mentioned, Three Edges have been working with BIFM in a professional capacity to undertake independent research that has informed their strategic direction. If you head over to bifm.org.uk and click on their Manifesto for Change page, you can access free downloadable outputs from this work. It's also important I tell you this because I've essentially got three hats here, all of which shape my perspective on the BIFM's proposed changes. As a listener, I'd encourage you to reflect on yours 
yourselves and also the dominant voices around you. Because like workplace, no perspective is ever truly neutral. People always have an agenda. We are social and therefore political creatures after all. So firstly, as an ex-operational facilities manager and university lecturer, I've spent years involved with and seeking to enable an industry talking endlessly about its potential, if only FM could be more strategic. Now, our industry research suggests that be more strategic is actually a proxy for FM needs more status and more identity beyond its own somewhat insular community. Secondly, as a member of the BIFM for almost 20 years, I have my own personal view of the Institute, the FM profession and the wider facilities services industry. And that's my business, just like my own vote. Thirdly, as Three Edges director and co-founder, we are most definitely a workplace specialist organisation who believe in the often untapped power of workplace to enhance organisational performance. And we are working very hard, as we declare in our workplace leadership manifesto, and frankly, as per every episode of this podcast, to drive this embryonic discipline forwards. We call it Workplace Matters for a reason, because it really does. Right, soapbox back under the desk, I promise. Time for some name checks. Thanks to all of these wonderful folks for responding to our invitation to submit questions. Will Easton, Mike Dalton, Linda Goodchild, Andrew Howarth, Simon Heath, and to anybody who publicly engaged with the debate on LinkedIn and Twitter, and with BIFM's leadership team at the member events they've been attending up and down the country. I'll say the same now, as I said at the end of the first part, do please remember, if you are a BIFM member who can vote on the proposed change, you can do this either electronically now, check your emails, or in person at the AGM in Manchester on July the 5th. It would be fantastic if the result reflected a significant proportion of the membership, and it's the same story as with all elections. If you don't exercise your right to vote, don't let me hear you grumbling about the outcome. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It really does help us spread the Workplace Matters word. Any opinions and ideas, feedback by Twitter at WPM Podcast or at Ian Ellison, or come say hello and download some free workplace content at threeedges.co.uk. And one last time, don't forget to check out our Workplace Leadership Programme in partnership with BIFM. The first course, Essentials of Workplace Leadership, is live. It's time to unlock your workplace place advantage lovely listeners the workplace matters theme tune was written performed and produced by the supremely talented handspan find out more at handspanmusic.com right that's your lot until next time cheers